Uh, why don't you go ahead, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to just take a little time this evening just to uh, look at one of the few good kings in Israel's history. I don't know if you ever sat down and as you kind of work your way through and you kind of start reading about one of the kings and then you see how they just mess everything up. You're like, well, that's a bummer. And then you look at how long the reign was and you're like, wow, it's even more of a bummer, right? You get a bad president, maximum eight years, maybe four if you're lucky, right? But so you, you read this and you're like, wow, it's just like one after another after another and every once in a while you snag a good one out. And so... Um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to actually look at one of the kings tonight. And what I love about him is he was willing to take a stand. He was willing to make radical reforms in the nation. And the reason why is because his heart was truly set on pleasing the Lord. He wanted to please the Lord. And listen, guys, true love manifests itself for the Lord when we walk in obedience. That's true love. How do we know that? John 14, 15. What does it say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey what I'm asking. That's if you love me. So love manifests itself in obedience. You know, and it's easy for us. We come to that scripture, we read it, and it's easy for us to understand what the Lord is asking of us. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, I understand it, but am I actually walking in it? Am I walking in what the Lord is asking me to do? And so my prayer and my heart for us tonight is that we make an honest inspection of our lives before the Lord. Not just simply, hey, Lord, how am I doing? He's like, doing great. I think I'm doing great. But willing to take an honest inspection of our lives and see if there are changes that the Lord desires to make that need to be made in our lives and that we're willing to say tonight, Lord, just simply have your way in me. Lord, have your way in me. This was the heart of David. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know my heart. I don't know my heart. Lord, search my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And that's so we just, we should do it every day. Lord, search my heart. Or is there something in my heart that needs to be changed, that needs to be corrected? Because when I look at my life, I go, I'm doing great. But Lord, when you look at my life and by your Holy Spirit, reveal to me the things that need to be changed in my life. I want my life to please you. I want to bless the heart of the Lord with my life. I don't want parts of my life to simply belong to the Lord. I want to surrender all that I am to you. Amen? Amen. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask it. Lord, search our hearts tonight. Lord, as we sit here even now, Lord, as we get ready to look at your word, or may we just be here and honestly and, and, and in our own heart just simply go, Lord... Search me. Lord, I know there's always a work you want to do in me. I know I'm not perfect. Lord, help me to see. 
Lord, that we would walk in a manner that is pleasing of you, that's worthy of you. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that work tonight. Lord, open our hearts, Lord, that your spirit would be upon us, that we're listening to you and your leading for our life, Lord. Bless this time, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we look at the long lines of kings in Israel and Judah, right? It's a divided kingdom. We've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? We don't have a lot of bright spots, right? We can just kind of go through and look and see. I mean, most of the years, if you read, they're plagued with dark days of sin and idolatry. Hey, many of the kings, when you look at it, you're like, that guy's just overtly wicked. He wasn't even trying to hide it. That's how they lived. Uh, you know, and they didn't even look to the Lord for anything. Others started well, then they finished poorly. Then you get some other kings like Manasseh, right? Starts really poorly, and he ends a little better. So you kind of get that whole spectrum going on there. But then Hezekiah stands out. And he stands out because with conviction, right? There was conviction in his life. With conviction, he was willing to make sweeping changes and follow the Lord wholeheartedly. So there, in chapter 18 of 2 Kings, let's go ahead and read the first three verses. And it says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So here we have Hezekiah. We get a little bit of information about him. We learn here first what? He's 25 years old. He's a young man when he's made king over Judah. And the first thing that we read about him as he steps onto this is that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull just a little backstory of how we got to where we did in the nation. All right, so it's been a long time since we read that there was a good king, a really good king in the line of Judah. And so what we'll do is we're just going to go back to his great-grandfather, Uzziah. You can read about him if you want. It picks up in chapter 15. And we read that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but then there's this key little word that shows up right after it says he did right in the sight of the Lord. It says, except... And so now all of a sudden there's an exception to what he did. It says, except the high places were not removed and that the people continued to sacrifice and burn incense in the high places. We're like, well, that's all right. Well, how did, how did his grandfather do? Well, now we step to him. And his grandfather, Jotham, it says he too, right? It says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but he was now unwilling to remove the high places. And then we just simply come to his father Ahaz. We're like, well, it's got to get better. We're getting there. And he was just unbelievably wicked. This guy was having his sons pass through fire. Hezekiah got lucky. He wasn't one of the ones who had to pass through it. 
But he has his sons pass through fire. He's sacrificing his children. We read false worship and sacrifice was happening, it says, on every hill and under every green tree. Just think about that, what the nation must have looked like. Everywhere you would have looked, idols would have been set up everywhere with people sacrificing and burning incense. It was everywhere. And God sent to him the prophet Isaiah, a lucky man. He sends him the prophet Isaiah to assure him of God's help against Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom. So just think about where they're at. Even the northern kingdom wants to come and attack with the Syrians. And he says, if he would repent, which he refused, that he would be with them, that he would help him. And do you know what sign? And this just, and I just you know, for me, it just shows how gracious and wonderful the Lord is. Do you know what sign that he gave to Ahaz? The coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7, he tells him that the Messiah will come. That's one of those in your kind of reading, like, why would you waste it on him? He ain't even looking for the Messiah. Why don't you save that one for Hezekiah? But that's what he gives him to assure him of this. And it's such a picture of God's grace. But he refuses that. And Syria and Israel come against Judah. And it says that 120,000 soldiers were killed. And 200,000 people were captured and taken into captivity. It was tremendous loss. An unwillingness to surrender to the Lord. And instead of submitting at that point in time when he sees all of this happening and coming upon the nation, there's your opportunity to repent. And instead of doing that, what does he do? He puts himself under the king of Assyria. He continues to turn. He ends up going to Damascus. And while he's up in Damascus and he's watching them worship and he's there and he sees this pagan altar, he's like, that thing's sweet. Here he does, he takes the design of that pagan altar, he sends it back and he goes, I want you to make me one just like this. And he dismantles the altar of the Lord, he dismantles parts of the temple, and he has that altar built in its place. And he makes himself a priest, and he sacrifices, and he worships to the gods of Damascus on that altar and place of the Lord. Then he set up little altars all over the place for other people to worship. And it says, as you read the story, that all true worship stopped in God's holy temple. It ceased to exist. It's a wild thought. There was no worship in the temple of the one true God. And so what we read of Ahaz is this, and this is his legacy. This is how it ends for him. It says, the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, because he encouraged moral decline in Israel. So you see that influence? You see what happens when the leader doesn't want to go and follow after the Lord, the effect that it had on the entire nation? He wasn't willing to turn his heart to the Lord. It affected the entirety of the nation. It says also that he was continually unfaithful to the Lord And this was the ruin of Ahaz and all of Israel. Imagine that written about your life. The legacy that you left behind was that. And here's the thing. 
I say all that, why? Because for 16 years, Hezekiah watched his father rule. When Hezekiah was nine years old, his father came into power and he watched him for 16 years. He watched how he led the nation of Israel. This was the kingdom that Hezekiah inherited. And so, the first thing that we read of him is that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord without any exceptions. Right? Great-grandfather, exception. Grandfather, exception. Father, disaster. Hezekiah, no exceptions. There was no doing mostly right for Hezekiah. And I thought about this, right? Because we're like, man, mostly, right? We're almost there. That's pretty good. That's not pretty good, right? Because So imagine if I had a car... In my hand, as I pass you the keys, is some of the bolts that belong to the car. And I just tell you, it's mostly built and it's mostly ready. Go take it out on the highway and tell me how it goes for you. Who's driving the car? Nobody. You don't like mostly in that moment at all. And that's, we can't be satisfied with a mostly good walk with the Lord. We look at Hezekiah, we look at how he did it, and we go, I need to walk with the Lord in a manner that's worthy and pleasing to him without exception. No exceptions. Well, let's continue. Verse 4. And it says, He has done what is right, and he removed the high places, and he broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So this is what's going on. So immediately he does what's right. And then what do we see? It says that he removed all of the idolatry from the nation. If you read the account of Hezekiah also in 2 Chronicles, if you just kind of walk these through together, you'll see in 2 Chronicles 29, it lets us know that he did this in the first year and in the first month of his reign. So he's made king, and the first thing he does, he goes, we're getting rid of all the idolatry in Israel, every bit of it. And it's amazing. Because he didn't look at some of the stuff that was there in the nation. He goes, you know, my dad really liked this one. We'll keep this one around. He didn't look at the bronze serpent and go, that belonged to Moses. And he had that with him when he was out in the wilderness. Now listen, I know that the people are burning incense to it and worshiping it. I know that's frowned upon. But we are talking about Moses. Can't we make one exception? He doesn't. He makes no exception at all. He has it broken into pieces. There'll be no worship. There'll be no idolatry. Not even that. And what I love is because he did it in the first year, in the first month, it tells us that he did it quickly. That's a good thing for us. That's a good warning for us. 
that when there's something in our life that needs to be removed from our lives, if there's something in our life as we're praying and the Lord reveals it to us in our heart and he's like, that's not pleasing to me, we don't let it linger. We don't allow it to stick around for a little while and, and put a date on the calendar. Well, Lord, I'll get rid of it. Just give me six months. I just want to weed it out. We realize it's something that's completely unpleasing to the Lord, that it's sin, and we deal with it quickly. We remove it immediately. And here's another thing. Not all the high places were obviously pagan. Some of them were replicas of the temple in Jerusalem. And they would be like a small shrine that would even have a little altar and the lavers and all the little things right there. And people would come to these little replicas and they would worship the Lord. And look what verse 22 says here in the same chapter. It says that it notes that Hezekiah even removed these. And it says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and is said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Hezekiah stripped all those away too. He said, I understand it looks like the temple. I understand what you're trying to do. We're removing all those. And so the Rabshakeh says to him, he says, Hezekiah took away the places for you to worship your own God. And now he's making you come to Jerusalem to worship. Why would he do that? Why would he make you do that? Because God commanded it, that's why. It becomes really simple. It's what God commanded to be done. Obedience is never optional. If God commands something, we do what he commands us to do. Sacrifice was always to be made on the altar in Jerusalem. And here's the thing. The people who worshiped there, they may have had a heart to worship the Lord, but their worship was one of convenience. Right? You can look at it and just be like, man, Jerusalem's so far. There's a little shrine up on the hill. It's practically the same thing. That's got to be all right. No, it's not. Did the Lord say it was all right? It was convenient. They wanted to worship the Lord, but they wanted to worship the Lord how they wanted to. They wanted to set the terms for the worship. If it's convenient, I'm ready. If it's right there, I'm all in, Lord. But if you're going to make me go all the way to Jerusalem, I know you commanded it. I don't want to do it. So Hezekiah says, we need to worship and sacrifice the Lord how he has called us to do so. And so I'm going to strip away the convenience. And when you come, you'll worship the Lord as he's commanded it. And so ask yourself tonight, how are you worshiping the Lord? Are you setting the terms of your worship? Lord, you know how much I love the live stream. You can drink coffee in my chair, on my couch. And listen, I understand there are exceptions to that. I'm not saying that it's bad. That's why we have it. But if that's the pattern of your life, because it's convenient, because it's comfortable, then it's not right. 
Lord, you know I'm not a morning person. I'd love to meet with you then. But it's just not what I like to do. Afternoon's not convenient either. Lord, I'll squeeze you in when I can. Lord, you see my life. You know how busy everything is. When would you possibly want me to be able to do it? How's your worship? Is it convenient? Is it on your terms? Or is your heart just simply fully surrendered to him and you're like, Lord, I love you. Lord, you've given so much to rescue and redeem me. And I just want to be a true worshiper. I love what Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4. John 4, 23 and 24. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so here Jesus is changing it, right? He's going, Jesus goes, listen, where you worship will not be the important thing. What's going to be important is how you worship. It's how you worship. In spirit, it's not going to be about your rituals or your rules or your sacrifice. And in truth, meaning that we worship in sincerity. Worshiping the Lord in sincerity. The goal is God receiving all the glory and honor. Not people seeing how good we are at worshiping. Worshiping in spirit and truth is real heart worship. It's a heart dedicated to the Lord. Is your whole heart worshiping the Lord? And here's the thing. We can't wholeheartedly Worship the Lord if we have idols in our life. Idolatry can be sneaky. Idolatry can be sneaky. So we strip down idolatry. What is it? It's anything in your life that competes with Jesus for your heart. That's idolatry. Anything that's competing with him. Does your hobbies compete with Jesus? Is your career competing with the Lord? Does your education and study compete with Jesus? Your finances, friends, family, me time? Are they competing with the Lord? And you're going, man, Jay, what you just said, none of those are really bad things, are they? No, they're not bad things. But this is what I like what one commentator says. He says, good things when idolized are better parted with than kept. It has to have its proper place. All things in our life have to have a proper place. And Jesus should not be competing with our heart with anything. He should just simply have our whole heart. And it's such a good reminder for us to remember that Jesus gave all of himself on the cross so he could have all of us. He wants every aspect of our life. He doesn't want parts of our life. 
He truly desires all that you are because he loves you that much. And so we see here that Hezekiah did not allow one single idol to stand in Israel, but the Lord would be the only recipient of their worship. Verse 5 says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him. Says here now that he trusted in the Lord God. His faith and trust was holy in the Lord. And so he removed anything that was contrary to him and he surrendered his heart to the will of the Lord alone. His faith and his trust would be tested when the kings of Assyria came knocking. It would be tried, it would be hard. But when the threat came, what we see with him is that he runs straight to the feet of God. Look at 2 Kings 19. Just flip over one chapter, verse 1. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he went to the house of the Lord. Verse 14, and Hezekiah received letters from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went where? Up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you alone are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear to me and listen. Look where he's running. And that's the thing. When we trust the Lord wholeheartedly, when things seem so difficult, when things seem absolutely impossible, when we trust him wholeheartedly, guess what we naturally do? We'll naturally run to him. Not as a last resort, but the first resort. So many times what happens when, when something happens in our life, what do we do? We try to fix it. We try to come up, what can I do? What are the things that I can do? And then we end up just digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And the Lord's like, I've been here the whole time, whenever you're ready. But there's something that happens when your trust is wholly upon the Lord. And things happen, you're like, I got to run right to Jesus. There's nowhere else I can run. I need to run to the Lord. Right? Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So just, I mean, think about that. Just take that verse and then ponder upon it for a moment. He made heaven and earth. So where you dwell, he made, and where we're not, all the heavens, he made it. So where else could we possibly look for help no matter what, what we face? Where are you going to go? We run to the Lord. He loves you. He's for you. Do you trust him? Do you trust the Lord wholeheartedly? He's trustworthy and he never fails. Well, verses 6 and 7. 
For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. There in verse 6, it tells us three things about him. It says, he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him and that he kept his commandments. So the first thing it says is that he held fast to the Lord. In the Hebrew word, to hold fast, it means to cleave. So it says that Hezekiah cleaved to the Lord. That's a vivid picture. That picture is Hezekiah held on as tight as he possibly could to the Lord. He's like, I am not letting you go. He cleaved to the Lord. Cleave in Hebrew is also where we get the word abide. So what it's saying is Hezekiah abided with the Lord. And I love that. I love that because that's the invitation that Jesus has given to each of us. Jesus has invited each one of us as sons and daughters of the king to abide with him, to cleave to him. And we have that opportunity each and every day to be abiders in Christ. That invitation to abide in him, it gives us, it's just, it's a privilege. It's such a privilege to abide with him, to abide in his love. You know what happens as you abide in his love? Your life is marked by joy. You abide in his love, your joy will be full. Hold fast to Jesus and his love, and that's in that moment you get to experience the fullness of joy. It goes on to say that he also, he did not depart from following him. Hezekiah's heart was one that said, I'm going wherever you go, no matter what. I'm going wherever you go, no matter what. And the Lord can lead places, can he? He can allow us to go through things and hard things. But do you let go when it gets hard? Don't. Hang on to the Lord. That needs to be our heart when the road becomes difficult. When the road becomes hard in our life, we simply need to say, I would, I would much rather walk down a difficult road with you than an easy road without you. I'll take that any day of the week. And lastly, it says that he kept his commandments. Hezekiah didn't look to see what his great-grandfather did. He didn't look to see what his grandfather did. He didn't look to even see what his father did. He looked to the word of God. He said, what does the word of God say? What's leading your life? What's the influence that you're looking to to lead your life? Is it the word? He looked and he was led by the word. And that's the simple solution. We need to be led by the word of God and walk in obedience to it. And the results of Hezekiah's faithfulness and trust 
We read it right here. What does it say? And it says, and the Lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went. Prospered being, and the Lord blessed him wherever he went. You follow up the same part in 2 Chronicles 31, speaking of Hezekiah's life. 2 Chronicles 31, 20 and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good and what was right and what was true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in service of the house of God, and in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart, and he prospered. Man, and I read that, and I, I looked at it, and listen, Hezekiah was not perfect. He was a great king, but he wasn't perfect. But man, for that to be, be said of my life, to be, to be said of all of our lives, I mean, just think about that. That we did what was good, we did what was right, and what was true before the Lord. That in all of our service to him, our obedience to his word, that we spent our life seeking him, that we did it with all of our heart. Put that on my tombstone. That's how I live my life. I wanted to live my life completely sold out for the Lord. Hezekiah's heart was fully surrendered to the Lord and the Lord blessed him. There's so much blessing in obedience. There's so much blessing in obedience. So here as we close, I just want us to take some time of reflection. And I'm going to ask the pastors to make their way up front. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want us just to reflect. Hezekiah cleansed the temple. He removed the idolatry and he restored worship. And maybe this is a reflection of some of our lives today. Maybe you need to cleanse the temple of your own life. That there's a sin that you need to repent of. Then take the time today. Go before the Lord and repent. Or maybe you're just sitting here tonight and you're going, man, there is something in my life that is competing with the Lord for my heart. And maybe you just need to take some time and just surrender your heart to the Lord. You surrender it to the Lord and you give Jesus the freedom to tear down any idol in your life, anything that's competing for your heart. Maybe you're just simply sitting here and you're like, you know, my worship of the Lord has gotten pretty convenient. It's a little conditional. I, I, I can look at my life, I look at how I worship, and I go, man, I am kind of setting the terms to what, how I do it. Pray that the Lord would restore a heart of true worship. Maybe it's just simply going, you know what? I'm not abiding. I'm not cleaving to the Lord like I used to. I look at when I'm spending time in the word and it's grown cold. My prayer's grown cold. You know, my service towards the Lord, it's, it's just slowed down. A fire that once burned bright in my heart, it's grown cold. 
You know, maybe the embers of your heart are still just sitting there. They're just kind of smoldering. Well, guess what? You pray, ah, Holy Spirit, may just a fresh wind blow across the embers of my heart and ignite that fire again. And let the Lord light the fire of your heart. Pray that his spirit just falls afresh on you tonight. Let him stoke the fire of your heart anew for the things of the Lord. And so if you need prayer, we're going to be up here and available. Maybe you're just sitting with somebody and you're just like, hey, man, will you pray with me? Pray with whoever's next to you. You don't have to come up front. But don't walk out of here if any of these things, if the, if the Holy Spirit is stirred or convicted anything in your heart and life, don't walk out of here without meeting with the Lord tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you continually desire to do in our hearts and lives, Lord. And so, Father, just give us a heart and desire tonight to truly set our lives before you, to allow you to truly make that inspection, and, Lord, to just be willing to make the changes necessary to live a life that's pleasing to you, Lord. And, Father, we pray just for the work that needs to be done. Lord, if there's things that need to be removed, things that need to be torn down, if there's a stronghold in our life that we have battled with or are unwilling to yield to and let go of, Lord, may we let it go tonight. And that we desire for you just to have your way in each of our lives, Lord. Because truly we just want to walk in the fullness of joy. And we pray this in your name.